Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the 16th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. All right, in terms of context, uh, this episode comes right before John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to ask them, ask him whether he's the coming, whether he's the Christ. And it seems like this episode, plus the healing of the centurion servant, even the sermon on the plain and the Beatitudes there kind of all point to what the Christ would be doing. He'd be healing. He'd be preaching good news to the poor. He'd be raising the dead. Um, What other kind of context? Is there like Elijah, Elisha motif going on or or other things that could help us understand what, what Jesus is on about here? I do think there is a kind of transition here from this is the end of John the Baptist's ministry and life right? He Mm -hmm. sends his disciples to Jesus. He's going to die in prison. So there is that thing going on. Um, Is this also when people start hating him more? (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's like that's all. Well, that's an increasing reality, right? Throughout the... It is, because... I know. I'm just just giving you a hard time. But I think there's also... uh, Also, I wonder if this doesn't sort of play... If this is um, like in John's gospel, the resurrection of Lazarus, Mm. you know, that this is a, this is kind of the significant resurrection that is defining, uh, it doesn't play the same role at the trial, you know, the way that the the Mm. resurrection of Lazarus does, but it does seem to be this transition because like you say, it's immediately to John. Mm-hmm. Right, so we have the we have the healing near resurrection of the centurion servant. Then we have this resurrection, and then John's like, "Okay, I'm done." Yeah, so it's like a, right? a a passing of the old, a bringing out of the new. God is going to visit in a his people in in a very particular way from now on. I mean, this is already brought up yeah, in the beginning and, of Luke at the at the what the birth of John the Baptist, right? He'll announce the right. visitation of God to his people. And these are these seem to be faithful people, right? But yeah. I assume it's both both crowds. There's two crowds, one with Jesus that's following him from the healing of the centurion servant, and then the crowd that's with the widow. And uh at the end, you know, it doesn't say who's saying these things, but there this is in contrast to was that two weeks ago when we had the uh healing of the deaf mute, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're told, don't tell anybody. Here they're here. this is in Judea. They're not told, don't tell anybody. Um, they, 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 fear comes upon them. They glorify God and they make this good confession, right? Not just that a great prophet has risen up amongst us, a prophet like Moses, but also that God is visiting his people, right? Emmanuel. And then this report goes out through, throughout Judea, so this is a positive event as opposed to being tainted the way two weeks ago it was. So this kind of fear is a, a holy, godly fear, like a recognition suddenly, th- wow, God is here and yeah. he's active. And this is um, 
Well, it can be disconcerting, but at the same time, lovely. And, and appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. That this is a reverent response to, mm-hmm. to recognize the power in Jesus Christ and realize kind of our smallness and unworthiness, and at the same time, see that he exercises this power in mercy, right, for visitation, and he's speaking mm-hmm. to us. He's the prophet. So, so yeah, it's, it's a full response. It's not, you know, just a shallow whatever, just praising God because, hey, that was, that was amusing, right? Yeah. Is there a sense also, we've talked about this before, where it's unexpected that Jesus would interact with a dead man, something that would, would uh, uh, make him, you know, ritually impure and unclean? Is there right. a Perf- sense in which he's doing what is unexpected in everyone's eyes? That kind of fear too, like, oh, like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, something's changing, right? The world's changing. The death's being undone. And, you know, the law, uh, at least the ceremonial law, seems to be being violated, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of uh, put in its place in a sense. Yeah. So not the moral law, of course, but, but this recognition that, you know, Jesus is willing to take on this ritual impurity to become not just profane, but unclean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to, ex, you know, take exchange places with the boy. Yeah, I, I didn't like this uh, in your translation there. Uh, what was it? Oh, I don't, like, I don't like them calling the city a town. That annoyed me. Um, <laughs> because because I, I think, you know, this whole city of God and the city of Jerusalem, and there's some eschatological stuff that we'll get to in a minute. But then... I, I don't like it in the New King James either. In verse 12, I wish they would translate this as only begotten, right? Um, the only begotten mm. son of his mother, you know, to to make that tie. And she's a widow, which, you know, seems to be coloring this, right? He, he is also the only begotten, presumably of a widow. Joseph's off the scene, right? So it's a it's a one-for-one one trade, you know? So he uh, sees his mother in this. I mean, if, if you're going like, to yeah. psychologize this a little bit. Oh, yeah. I think, compl- I mean, look at this, the way, the way that it reads, right? That he see mm. that, that Jesus seeing her has compassion on her, speaks to her, stop weeping, right? Or do not continue to weep. And then he's going to give the boy back to her. I mean, everything is, or to not to her, but to his mother, to the boy's mother. Uh, so, I mean, that he is moved by compassion for her, Mm-hmm. Uh, not for anybody else. So, is, I mean, I think is, that's very pointed. Is Mary with them in the crowd? She could be. Uh, so is this a, also like a, a sign to her? Like, look, <laughs> this a bad your sign. son will be given back to you. Oh, okay, that side. Okay, uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. I was thinking of it more of your son's going to die for this one. <laughs> Somebody's well, got to. Somebody's got to. Yeah, it's, well, they're probably both, right? But right, somebody's somebody's got to die, and uh, you know, I have compassion on her. Uh, but but yeah, but also then, sure, that's good. Also, the only begotten does come back from the dead, so there you go. I mm. did like uh, I, I did like your translation on uh, in verse fifteen because the New King James says he presented him to his mother. And that's a that's a that's dumb. I it just says he gave, and I I, I don't know presented. It just in English, that's just got the wrong connotation to me. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why that bothers me. It, it should right. God is the giver, not the presenter. I, presenting it seems it seems too distant. Like right, he's actually the one that gives her. Right, the the boy is actually his, not hers. He's not just mm-hmm. presenting her like, you know, that, I don't know, I, I present things that, that aren't mine to give, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was pet. It, was, I know that was picky, but. No, no. So is there a sense then in which going along with this theme of Jesus and his own mother that so Jesus is going to offer or give himself to the father, Mm. Um, does the father give him back to her? Oh, or does you know nice. he re- yeah. she receives him for, at the cross, right? To yeah, in burial. 
Um, and she goes to the tomb Easter morning. Right. Yeah. She gets his clothes back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to iron and no, set I mean, away in, in the closet. <laughs> yeah. No, I, she, she does though, right? In the, in the upper room. Um, and, you know, at Emmaus and at Pentecost, right? I mean, she does get Jesus back in the sacrament and, and, and learn to be more than simply content with that, but learn to recognize and to see that with joy as actually the greater, more significant and enduring presence mm-hmm. as, as the apostles themselves, right? That's, that's why the people on the road to Emmaus aren't sad when Jesus disappears from their sight. That's why at the Ascension, I love that. <laughs> that the apostles rejoice when Jesus is taken away from their sight. Mm-hmm. I, I think from our perspective, we're like, ah, oh, darn it. You know, <laughs> there he goes again. Um, yeah. But, but reality is right. The, the visible or the local presence of Jesus as he was during the time of his humiliation or even after his resurrection was not enough, right? What yeah. we need is actually the sacramental presence yeah, you know, and his presence and his word that is that can be everywhere all at once and is for us. Yeah, yeah. What they had then was less, it seems, right. than what we have been given now. Right, but of course, you know, like all you know, disgruntled children, right? We we always sort of <laughs> look at what our siblings have with annoyance and think they got somehow we got ripped off because you know they had these miracles and because. Right. They had Jesus speaking to them directly, and it seems like that would be better. But what we have is legitimately actually fuller because we have the Bible and we have the sacraments. And nobody Mm -hmm. in the history of the world before before the uh, Pentecost had those things. I mean, they had shadows of them, but they were only shadows, right? Moses is not going, hey, this is great. I got a tabernacle and some blood, you know? (laughs) <laughs> he, he he longs to right. He longs to look into the things that we've got, and I think that's even true of the apostles. Of course, the apostles and Mary they experience both. Yeah. Well, all, all three really right. They, they they experience the Old Testament promises. They experience the local presence and the um, ministry of Jesus during his state of humiliation. They experience his ministry during his exaltation when he's still localized. Uh, there in the upper room and in the other appearances, and then they're there at Ascension and Pentecost, and I guess they got the—I guess they get it all, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the angels—they long to look into the uh, things, like yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. jealously, but no, right? They recognize that we've been given more. So I like—I thought this was a good one. Uh, the narratives. You remember my little uh, write a play about this yeah. or be the director yeah. of a play? <laughs> yeah. This works good on this one. Uh, so we, here's the characters, right? We've got Jesus. We've got his disciples. We've got the crowd that's following. Then we've got the dead man, the mother who's a widow, the crowd from Nain, and the pallbearers. So mm-hmm. Jesus is compassionate. He speaks, he touches, and he gives, Right. Those are his actions. The disciples mm-hmm. are silent. They don't do a thing, right? They're just watching. The crowd uh, is is like that, like the disciples until the end when they're when they're fearful in the right way. They praise God and then they also witness, right? Because the story is spread. Mm-hmm. Then you have the dead man, the only begotten, who's also silent, who 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 uh, sits. That's the only th- and talks, though we're not told what he says. Then the mother is silent except for weeping, right? Mm-hmm. The crowd is the same. And then the pallbearers are silent and are still. Uh, so I, I just think it's interesting and sort of helpful to think about what they're doing. And it, it helps us kind of realize the sort of drama that's intrinsic in this. Most of the people are quiet, mm-hmm. right? Um, Jesus does almost all the talking. The, the, the boy is said, he sits up and he begins to speak, but we're not told what he says. And then the crowd, you know, makes that witness. But, but this is like a very Jesus centric narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. right. And I, I think that's, I I think that it's interesting to kind of, to sort of open it up that way and kind of recognize everybody else are right. They're very much supporting characters. Um, 
It's all about the compassion of Jesus. And well, it's all about the compassion of Jesus that is exercised, you know, in his power and his giving back. Yeah. And at the same time, though they're silent, they're still present. I mean, it's because the yeah. compassion of Jesus isn't an abstract thing. It's for particular people at particular times and particular places. Yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing can be helpful, that kind of you know thinking like a play or whatever can sort of be helpful with a paraphrastic. If you're going to follow the sort of Gerhardt model, you know, the kind of most common the most common model of preaching in Christianity, especially in Lutheranism, up until, you know, 30 years ago, was a paraphrastic uh, opening, basically retelling mm-hmm. the story with sort of, you know, highlights and theological comments made throughout. So, mm-hmm. and then after the paraphrastic, then really kind of theolo- uh, doctrine, rebuke, you know, all that fivefold stuff. So, that sort of character setup is good for the paraphrastic to help you craft that. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really great idea. Um, and it, it does provide a lot of fruit in terms of just thinking about, so what, how would, when you bring this up, usually you're thinking about like how to direct them. Like, so <laughs> right. Like what, what you're yeah, going to have motives. to do. I usually, yeah, motives. Right. Like, Usually I think about motives or emotions, right? What's he feeling? What's he thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So what is that? We've already done that for Jesus, right? He he sees right. his own mother in this mother. Um, what about the others? I think that the disciples and and the crowd that's following Jesus is expectant, right? They've come off of this other miracle, and there's a kind of excitement and uh, eagerness for this. Mm-hmm. Right, they're, 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 it's still a kind of very positive thing. Um, the dead man doesn't have any expectations. Uh, the mother, <laughs> right, is overcome with with sorrow, right, mm-hmm. and in, there's a bit of a rebuke in this. Stop weeping, right? Yeah. That, um, in fact, the word there is stronger than weep. Um, yeah, could be like translated wail out and wail. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, it could be that she is, you know, has given into the temptation of despair or, mm-hmm. you know, is at least toying with it and is acting in a way that's slightly irreverent and inappropriate for believers, mm-hmm. right? So You kind of get that sense a, with a, all the kais too, don't you? Yeah. It's a kind of building. Yep. Mm-hmm. The pallbearers, I think, is interesting. They're kind of interesting characters. I love this, that they're just, they're made to, like, they don't get a talk. <laughs> they don't get a protest, right? Mm-hmm. They're just furniture. And, um, you know, they, they sort of remind me of the guards at the tomb, right? N- not that they're wicked, but, you know, their job is to carry this boy to the, this boy's body to the grave. And, you know, Jesus stops them from carrying out that duty. They're not allowed mm-hmm. to do it. So, you know, I don't know what they're, right? Uh, I can imagine in some sense them being sort of, they're the ones that are probably the most shocked. Well, yeah. and the mother at being told to not wail. Everybody else is telling her how terrible this is and, you know, kind of oozing sympathy. And then Jesus is like, wait a minute, this isn't the way believers respond to death. Right, mm-hmm. we know that whoever believes in Jesus lives, and so forth. And I mean, not that he he's he's compassionate in it. I don't I don't mean that he's like angry with her, but you know, she does need to be taught something here. So yeah. So what is the example in kind of our own lives, maybe at home, um, with children, where they're kind of crying uncontrollably? And you have a rebuke like, stop it. Stop crying. Get a hold of yourself. What's that kind of example? I mean, is that the yeah, example? Or there are other things where the they're just overcome by the shock and surprise of what just happened. And uncontrollably, they've given into their emotions instead of listening to those in authority over them to say, look, this is not, this is not as bad as it seems. That's maybe not for this particular instance, but at least at home, sometimes, you know, a kid stumbles and falls and they just start wailing 
and you're like, stop, you're not hurt. But that's you're just surprised. That's usually fake. Yeah, that's usually fake, though, right? I mean, I mean, children do that, right? It's I'm I'm thinking of t- it's often phony. Sometimes it is, but sometimes they're just like they were scared. So yeah. it's a, like it's a scared cry okay. on top of I mean, like they're not hurt. Their feelings aren't hurt. They right. were scared. To what extent is she just also scared? Hmm. Yeah. Like she's feeling yeah, the wrong sure. thing. Right. Well, she doesn't know what's this mean for her economically, right? What yeah. does this mean for her chances of, right? I mean, you know, family and loneliness and also, right. No, she's got a lot to be humanly speaking, afraid of. a lot to be afraid of. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's an interesting thing, right? Children, children, and they're crying and they do need to be told to stop. We, I mean, we all do that. They're, right. I've not been very effective at getting them to stop. Um, <laughs> when they're doing that. Uh, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. You're right. I mean, sometimes it's a fake. Sometimes it's putting on airs. But yeah, like I, I'm thinking of when they, uh, you know, take a real tumble off a bike and they're not really hurt, yeah. but they were scared. You could tell they're yeah. scared and they're crying out of that fear. Like, whoa, no, that that's was good. scary. That's true. Or like fall, almost, you know, falling in a, getting their face wet in a pool. I mean, all kinds of things that, right, just, yeah. Obvious, right? This is just yeah, but then but then they just give into it completely yeah. as though you're not holding them right. Mm-hmm. And well, I was thinking of um, <clears throat> a different direction. I, I always I, the children thing is those are the best illustrations. So I, that's probably worth pursuing. I um, the I was thinking of how often though we uh, like this woman we sort of give into our grief or we give into our anger. Or, you know, this kind of outrage, you know, like the, the kind of modern love of outrage, um, mm. you know, that we just sort of cave into this or complaining, right? Mm-hmm. Just complaining all the time and sort of, again, kind of refusing to to believe in the goodness and the promises of God and trusting in that. Mm-hmm. And not that they're, right, the theologian of the cross calls the thing what it is. I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to pretend like, you know, death is good. Uh, at the same time, we do believe that God works all things together for good, and we do believe mm-hmm. that for those who believe in Jesus, they never die. Death is a passage into life. I mean, we, we do need to make this good confession in the midst, and we do need to think about how we mourn or how we uh, complain about injustice or or suffering, not only in our prayers, but also, you know, in how we behave in public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's even this like, I don't know, you know, sometimes people just kind of uh, refusing to uh, refusing to believe that God has afflicted them on purpose, right? That this kind of just, you know, sort of uh, relishing in being angry at God kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there are Psalms of lament. There's, there's a place for this and there's a way to do this that's that's actually pious and in accord with what we've been given. And, and those are the Psalms of lament. At the same time, there aren't that many Psalms of lament, right? Compared, <laughs> right? I mean, within the Psalter, uh, right? It's a small percentage. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a place for it, but it, it shouldn't be the majority of our prayer or the majority of our confession. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, sometimes we, we give into that and it's kind of a, there's a selfishness to it, right? That, that, that also kind of is, it's really a kind of vanity that is my crosses are worse than yours. You need to pay attention to me and Mm -hmm. right. You need to sort of recognize, I think of this, I got this from a, another pastor a long time ago, but I, I use it all the time. This, when people start talking about how they're, how they're unlucky, Right. I've never won anything. I lose everything, blah, blah, you know, this kind of thing, which, which we hear all the time from people. And this guy pointed out a very profound moment for me. It was because I'd never thought of it. And he, he just says, yeah, you know, that's really a very self-centered thing to imagine that you're so significant that the entire cosmos is in a conspiracy against you. Right. Everything's right. lined up. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, that, 
we, we do think that sometimes because it is a vanity, right? And we think that not only with like, oh, I'm unlucky. I never win anything. You know, everything bad has happened to me. But we do this also with our crosses as though what we have endured is unique, right? Mm. Now, there is a sense in which crosses are always custom made, right? So God does give you things that other people probably could just shake off, um, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, because he knows what you need. But we do need to confess and embrace that God is in control, that he knows what he's doing, that he chastises us in mercy. And we can pray for relief, but we also pray with the confidence, again, that this is good, right? So, I mean, this woman, this is horrific, right? She's a widow and she's lost her only son. And it looks like everything's being taken from her. But I mean, consider St. Job, right? Or consider Mm. Jesus. And, you know, this is ultimately what we're being. So I love the book of Job. You did your thing with Job with Roger Mullet. And I wanted to jump in. You know, I I, I think maybe I've told you, I really think the way we got to read Job is that it's the tale of a trickster. Because here's the deal. It's a total setup. God calls Satan to the court. And he, Mm -hmm. he tells him about Job, right? It's not even Satan's idea. And, and then Satan makes this about 95% accurate statement. That is, well, Job only does this because you've given him everything. Let me take this stuff away and let's see how he behaves. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then God says, okay, try it. Right. And so then Satan does. And in fact, Job does not actually perform that great. I mean, his friends are worse, but you know, Job is claiming to be innocent, right? To be without sin, that he shouldn't be suffering these things. And in the end, right, he gets rebuked by God with what I think is the best poetry in the whole Bible. I mean, it's the most beautiful. And write this whole thing about where were you, right? You, this mm-hmm. isn't your your right to do this. And, and then finally, Job finally is stripped away of all of his idols by suffering, by this resistance, and now is able to make this great confession. Now, he's not without faith throughout it, right? He's suffering, but he's he's chafing against it. It's difficult. His friends, everything's bad for him. But in the end of the book, he finally goes, okay, right? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to trust in him no matter what. I'm going to believe in his promises, right? I know that my Redeemer lives. That's what matters. I'm waiting for that. I know those passages are earlier, but that's where it really comes to culmination. And then you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, right? God used Satan, right? He tricked Satan into doing his work. Mm-hmm. That is the actually serving Job by these crosses so that Job would, Job would actually come to this clearer statement, this better understanding, this deeper faith, uh, and actually have real trust because to some degree, what Satan, the accusation that Satan made against Job was accurate at the beginning of the book, but it's not at the end. Mm. And that was a service to Job. So that's the, right, he tricked, he tricked the devil. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that is such a profound and important story for what it is to live by faith. Mm. So this so, is what this woman somewhat failing to do, and we're all failing to do it, right, as Job so failed before us. It seems like what you're saying here is that we have to do a, I guess, a better job of bringing out what she's crying about. We, we tend to think it's just that she's sad because, uh, you know, she lost her son and, you know, she had earlier lost her husband. And so she's just sad, but there's more to the weeping and wailing and crying than just sadness. Yeah. And we need to bring that out. Yeah, this is a different word than is used in John 10 for Jesus, or wherever it is, with the uh, Lazarus scene. Jesus oh, wept. Yeah. That, that is a different word. That right to, to, it, It's not inappropriate. In fact, it would be inappropriate not to weep. It would be inappropriate her, for her to not be sad, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I, um, I know what people mean when they say this, but I don't, I wish they'd stop saying it, right? That like they sort of leave notes for their kids like don't when i die don't be sad you know have a party now listen (laughs) that's crap right i mean i I, okay i get the sentiment you don't like the idea of your kids being sad but look they need to be sad when you die Mm -hmm. that's the appropriate response 
right? This is, we, we, we continue to love those that we have lost for a time while we wait for the resurrection by mourning and we miss their company. And the right response is sadness. It's not the only response. It's not the totality of the response, but mm-hmm. it is the right thing. Your children should be sad and they will be no matter how much you try to tell them they shouldn't be. Right. Right. They, uh, and that's because they love you and you should not tell your children not to love you. Right. <laughs> So, you know, this whole, this whole kind of complicated reality of how we respond with kind of the fullness of being human mm-hmm. and, you know, the emotions that God has given us needs to be kind of thought about and talked about and given a biblical perspective. Is there a sense of, you know, a, a training in righteousness here where, you know, when we see sad people or people who are weeping and have compassion on them, we think, oh, we need to comfort them in a way that, you know, says, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, this is good. You know, get it out. You know, let the tears fall. Is there a training in righteousness that we should be more keen on seeing and figuring out the reason behind the tears and perhaps Mm. giving a rebuke, stop wailing, um, stop crying, and not just... um, I guess, uphold it and support it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, again, it's tricky, of course, because we can't see into people's hearts like Jesus can. But I think we do need to confess, again, kind of both sides of it. You know, your your sadness is legitimate because you've lost someone you love temporarily, right? There is a lack here. At the same time, right, that we are people of hope and, you know, we're not just sad, so, you know, kind of to try to find this full expression or balance of these things, you know, in, in a way that's actually true, right? Not, not just simply coddling people. I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. an awful lot of what we, what we think is comforting is actually coddling. <laughs> and, you know, we're not actually serving them because we're not really telling them the truth. So, mm-hmm. It's it, you know it's not that I'm not suggesting that we start and you know I think the timing of the thing matters too, right? Mm-hmm. There you know there's there's all sorts of things and the relationship that you have and the trust that's already in the relationship, how well you know the person. I mean, you know the context, all of that is important, but we need to do more than just hold people's hands. That that's another thing. I don't like this language of uh, ministry of presence. Uh, I don't like that really at all. Um, I mean, I, I get it. The idea, talking about the, the pastor, right, that he ought to be there. Yeah, he, he, he ought to be there. But he ought to be bringing the word, right? We're ministers mm. of the word. And, um, you know, we're not just there holding people's hands. We have something to say. And, and what we're to say is God's word, right? That's what we're to bring them. That's what they're going to find comfort in, not the fact that we have compassion, that we're nice enough, that we showed up right? We're, we're there to bring them the word. And so that, that word is, you know, always instructive um, in some ways. So even mm-hmm. if it's just a reminder of what they already know. So. Is there a sense in which we should see ourselves in the sun? Ooh. As silent. Um, hmm. I mean, is this, I mean, I don't know if it's baptismal or, or what, but. Yeah. I we, tend I, I, we, we tend to identify. We we tend to identify with the mother. Um, yeah, I've never. Could you? Yeah, could, could I, you build a sermon on? You're just the dead son, <laughs> and given, and you're being given back to the church. Yeah, I don't know. Church is your mother. I have a big thing on gates here. Uh, I want to talk about gates. Okay, that's not Bill. Really, really, not not. I don't know. Huh? <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, because I, I, so, you know, back to our little drama, you know, the play, the location is the gate of the city of Nain with the cemetery in the background, right? There they are at the mm-hmm. edge of the city. So, it, I mean, this is, of course, very obvious, but right, cities in the ancient world needed walls because they were prone to attack. And then because they had walls, you had a way of, to way to get in and out, and that was a gate, right? So gates are open during the day, but guarded typically, and then at night they're closed and the walls are guarded, uh, right? So they're mostly about, right, gates are access to the city for legitimate business, 
and gates are protection from enemies. Uh, so gates are also then places of meeting. A key moment in the Messianic line was negotiated by Boaz, right, when he gains Ruth for his wife at the city gate. Proverbs describes the city gates as the place where a virtuous wife is praised and where wisdom cries out. So teaching went on at gates, and we know sometimes prophets prophesied at the gates. Trials were often held at the gates, and criminals were punished outside the city gates, right? Jesus himself. And the Shema was to be written on the gates, right? That you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So gates then are also dividing civilization from the wilderness, safety from danger, family and home from loneliness. Uh, so all of that, I think, can kind of color this account. Then you have uh, Psalm 24 personifying the gates, right? The singer tells the gates to lift up their heads so that the king of glory can come in. And then we have Jesus' statement in John's vision, behold, I stand at the door. Doors and gates are the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. So, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. So Matthew could, 7 and John 10. Go ahead. Could you craft a sermon from the perspective of the gates? Yeah. Like, I think there's a, well, from the perspective of the gates, I don't know. What, I mean, you're, you're you going to personify the gates? Like, look, so what they're seeing. You know, yeah, I mean, because well, the gate, as you mentioned, like the gates are personified in the Psalms, they are. Um, so, uh, and everything that happens at them, so they're watching always what's happening at the gates because they're they are the gates, <laughs> but, yeah. So, I don't know how this would work. So, I don't know what how this would work, but what if so? What if they're like they're 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 watching this. And and you describe it from their perspective. Well, they're trying know. to lift up their heads because the king of glory is coming, but this dead body's in the way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so uh, th there, there is this uh, perhaps there, right? Here's this dividing line. And Jesus is coming from the outside. Yeah. Um, right? Well, Jesus know, calls just, himself the, yeah. He it also seems calls too, himself too, the gate. Too much like poetry. Yeah, you could it do it, but, little, you have but to it be, might just be more I mean, like a. You could a certainly poem. just talk about gates without personifying them, uh, just to recognize that Jesus meets them at this at this critical place between the city and the wilderness. Yeah, but I was just thinking of you know, we have talked about this before that children's book about the wood and the wood for the yeah. boat that carried Jesus, the wood for the cross on which he was crucified, yeah. the wood. So like. We have, you know, we have um, heard the wisdom. We've held the Shema. I, mean, I don't know. This is just, I'm not very poetic. So I, I like Billy Collins. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my kind of poetry. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. Just, it I was think, just the thought. I think there'd be, I, I think I like the idea of doing something with the gates. I mean, it, it, is, it is a named place textually, you know, to tie the gates of Nain to the gates of Jerusalem to the gates of the heavenly city made out of pearls mm -hmm. that are always open. Um, yeah. You know, to Jesus, the gate, right. For the sheep. Um, well, you've and, got you the, know, distinct from the distinct from the gates of hell. I yeah, mean, you, you have the angel with the flaming sword at the gate of Eden. Yeah. I thought that Daniel, I, I was looking with the Susanna story. I know that's not in, in the, uh, Bible, it's in the Apocrypha, but uh, you know the doors of the garden were shut, and then, uh, but he didn't. The trial wasn't at the doors, so, but but there are a lot of that, right? Uh, uh, all that kind of stuff that goes on at the gates. So, mm -hmm. right. So you got those things. There you go. So that's something could be done with that. I think that could be edifying and could help people to see the united narrative of Holy Scripture in the Messiah and to help them read the Bible more deeply. Yeah. You could also Wait, I mean, do something. So Jesus, Jesus is the door. He is the gate, right? Yeah. So I just kept trying maybe, to say that and you kept interrupting me. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
well, so I mean, enter is by the narrow that, gate. Are they looking forward to being replaced? Oh, there you go. There you go. Or and how about uh, I was going to say it, you, you could pre- looking forward to being turned into a big pearl and then being open. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't want to. Uh, th- there's nothing to protect the people from. Right. The gates are open, the 12 gates in Jerusalem and mm-hmm. right. Business is happening, right? The economy is booming mm. and, and, and the judgments are just, and the prophets are teaching all, all these, yeah. all these activities. And the, the wise woman is praised, right. Of, of Proverbs 31 or the virtuous woman also wise, right. Mm-hmm. That is the church. So I don't know. Boaz That's- is negotiating for his bride. I mean, you got all this great stuff. Yeah. So, and then there's the know, widow of Nain. So there, so you've got water wants to become wine, cows want to become meat, <laughs> gates want to become Jesus. Pearls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got. I mean, then you have though, right? Pointedly, right? Uh, I mean, maybe all of this gate stuff is fulfilled in the resurrection of this boy. Say the more. Hopes and Why? fears of. Well, I mean, it's sort of the like the joy, uh, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, right? Mm. Here at this gate, right, this critical junction, she 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 thinks she's going to the cemetery. He's being taken out of the city, away from his family, right? And nope, that's not what's happening, right? He's returned. Jesus gives him back, uh, mm. and uh, it's beautiful. So yeah. connecting that to the gates could be could be good. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, it's, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm thinking about it. Aren't gates referred to as like the the mouth of the city? Oh, never. I, I mean, not heard the, that. Before. So the the Jesus opens his mouth. The, the 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 city gates are closed to this boy, but they're open back again because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a dividing line. Right. Sure. I mean, there. You know, life and death. Right. Safety, danger, family, loneliness, promised land, wilderness. I mean, all that. Right. Yeah. So, in terms of like fivefold use, um, what doctrines and then refutations would you put together? This is a t- this was a tough one for me on that. That's why I went off on Gates. I, I mean, it just doesn't seem to me like. It's a pretty simple account. So doctrinally, you, the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so that that's obviously there. You could you could make probably talk about uh, you know the difference between physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. That's those are important mm-hmm. distinctions that our people need to think about uh, in terms of. I don't know if it'd be reproof or, or training, but how to mourn properly. We talked about that a little bit. Reverence for life and and for. <clears throat> love that's been lost temporarily. Um, Do you think you would add to the the doctrines like Jesus mm. is the Messiah? You know, leading up to all of these things, this is a demonstration that he is not just a teacher, sure, the, not the, just another prophet, mm. not just he is God yeah. visiting his people. He's the prophet like Moses. I mean, that's in the text, basically. So. Right. Or what does it mean that God is a man, that he visits his people, that he's come? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, Nain, uh, uh, now I'm doing this from memory, but I don't think we have archaeological evidence of Nain. Mm. I think that's right. We don't, it's like Cana. It's, it's named in the Bible, but we don't know. It's not like Capernaum or, you know, most of these other, or Bethlehem, right? Where, you know, we, we know where that was and we have other, evidence, you know, whether it's um, manuscript evidence or, you know, a, a rock with the name on it or something. But Well, there is a modern, you know, Nain, there is a modern name, but that might not be the same place. I thought, yeah, I'm doing this. I didn't read this today. I am doing this from memory. Maybe I'm wrong on that. So even if, if the, uh, the point I was going to make was that Nain is sort of insignificant, seemingly, right? Like Bethlehem. And yet Jesus goes there. This, I mean, it is this doesn't happen in Jerusalem, which mm-hmm. you know would have been sort of more pointed in a way. And, and yet, you know, but then you have this that God visits His people, right? That He comes to us. So you can make a sacramental application there, right? Who cares about mm. Tuscola, Illinois, right? 
Well, Jesus does, right? Yeah. The risen Jesus is present in his body and his blood in Tuscola. Um, you know, it's he, yeah. he sought that place out, right? He doesn't require pilgrimages that we have to go to Mecca, right? So Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, comfort and consolation obviously raises the dead. He has compassion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are good things. Uh, you know, I think you could. I think you could also talk about you know his his command for her to stop weeping. It is a it's mm-hmm. a present tense, so it has a continuous um, aspect. So it's an ongoing action, right? So when he, it's just translated what do not weep or something. But yeah, I mean more literally, it would be I would say do not continue to weep right? Or stop weeping. Um, so there, there is okay. a, anyway, the, 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 there is a compassion in that, that he isn't just saying that because he's annoyed with her. He's saying that because her kind of self-absorption is preventing her from actually having the abundant life, the joy that he would have for her. He, he doesn't by this say, I'm going to take away all your trouble. Uh, but at the same time, right, you're taking away all of your joy by your by your choices, by your obsessions, by your actions, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a compassionate teaching, even though it's the law. Um, is is there a sense in which there's a, a a refutation of the way we think about life and death? Like death is part of life, or it's just you know, yeah, part of the the life experience. And Jesus demonstrates this is not the case. Yeah, I mean, I think we have the opposite problem, it seems to me. most This woman seems to be, you know, wailing and more, and more afraid of death than she should be. I, I think in some sense we tend to downplay it. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we it's tend natural. to, oh, it's, it's natural or it's fine. Everybody goes to heaven. You know, they're all in a better place. There's nothing, right? And... I mean, of course, you know, from from our perspective as Christians, as the baptized who have been given faith by the Holy Spirit, you know, that's true for us in some sense. But at the same time, it seems to me like we're kind of driven often by cliches about death that don't really give comfort, but sort of say the right things. Mm -hmm. So you could you could kind of compare and contrast that and maybe redeem some of these cliches about death you know, not everyone is in a better place, but, you know, those who die in Christ actually are in a far, far better place. And there is a sense in which we don't weep for them, but for ourselves, you know, but then again, not as those that have no hope, but those who know the, so, I mean, you, you know, that might be, okay, she's doing this. She's acting almost like a pagan, right? And mm. like, you know, thinking that death is the end or he's gone to, you know, uh, cross the river sticks or something, you know, that is inappropriate for Christians and, and this exaggerated way. Well, well, we tend to sort of almost act like, you know, animists or universalists where, oh, it's no big deal because everything's fine. Yeah. Like and pagans. Like pagans also, but a different kind of pagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, need to, we need to be Christological, right? Both she and we. And mm-hmm. we, need to, we need to weep, not wail, but we do need to weep. Right. And rejoice. So maybe, and you know, nice thing about doing that, like on a, whatever this is, Trinity 17 is it's, it's catechesis, not only to prepare for your own death, but also catechesis about what funerals ought to be like and what ought to be confessed and how, you know, to, to, to do some preparation, at least in our imagination about how we're going to respond and react and cope if we have to suffer the death of loved ones, which, mm-hmm. you know, most likely we are. So yeah, God forbid we have to suffer what she did. That's the just about the worst thing possible. So a doctrine here would be on Christian funerals as well as Christian mourning. Yeah. Or would that How be a training in righteousness? Ever. Yeah, I and don't know. <laughs> Something like that. I think that would be training I mean, in righteousness. Those categories are, are, I think, there's some overlap, right? Uh, so yeah, but we're asking them to do something particular. So okay, in their funeral Fair preparation enough. and mourning. So yeah, 
but it includes how they think. So it does. Yeah. Now let's not let's let's drop this let's drop this stuff about you know celebrations of life, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, as only a celebration of life. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's recognize the kind of somber reality, and let mm-hmm. this be a call to repentance. Also, right? Yeah. That that we would go to funerals with some fear and trepidation to consider our own mortality mm-hmm. and um, how it is that you know if we if we want this pain to end for real, uh, there's only one way it ends for real, and that's mm-hmm. if we if we're risen if we're risen from the dead regardless yeah. of whatever happened to our dead loved one. Um, I mean, there's a weird comfort there too. Even if our dead loved ones aren't there, we will be, and and we'll be thrilled by it, right? We're, we're not going to- People don't believe is, that though. I know they don't, but this is, uh, this is one of the most difficult, I think, realities. Um, but I think also one of the most important doctrines. We, we trust in God's grace and in his goodness and- in the truth of his word. And so we're placing ourselves fully there. We're not making demands and standards for what heaven should be like or what, you know, God needs to do to make us happy. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I don't like that word happy, uh, you know, to what God needs to do to make us blessed and at peace mm-hmm. with him and, you know, in the felicitous joy of, anyway. Are you preaching on this? I am. Okay. Any direction that you're thinking of you want to do the gates you're going to write a poem i want to do the gates man i put a lot of work into that gates thing so if you do that (laughs) if you do that i suggest that you then post it to the goddess dean's blog so we can all see how that came out i'm I'm serious i think i'm gonna personify the gates i'm gonna name one of them abbott the other one costello (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm gonna dress up like a gate and no. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I think I want to do something with the gates. I hope I will see. Sometimes, you know, I have these, well, I'm sure we all do this, right? I have this kind of ambitious idea for preaching based on something like this that I think is really going to be awesome. Fun and then or, nobody loves it. And then, it, well, well, no. And then what happens is it just turns out to be too hard to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've done this dozens of times where I'll start with something like this and then it's like, you know, it's Saturday and I'm like, this is too wild or too crazy. And <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. And I just, you know, preach on John three sixteen instead. So <laughs> good, good. All right. Um, did we hit all of the topics that you wanted in terms of fivefold use or anything else that we left off? Well, I was I was real light on the fivefold use this time, so yes, we did. Okay, well, thanks some, for your some time, Dave. Some texts are just some texts are harder to do. You know, just don't have as. I mean, this wasn't that varied of a text. Mm-hmm. It's a short narrative, so yeah. All right, thank you. 